Hey Future Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And we are the hosts of Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Each week, we'll dive into some of the most unnerving crimes that this unnatural world has to offer. Listen for Unnatural on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi guys, I'm Dee Dee West and this is Broken Limelight. And I'm Summer. Uh, I don't know if you were talking about, about that. that. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. <laughs> it took too long. This is my friend Summer. You guys remember her. Thanks for being here again, Summer. Of course. Okay, so today we're going to talk about um, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Um, I, I want to say that I was conflicted when I named this episode because I, I originally wanted to call it Lewinsky Gate because there was all these different gates particularly associated with Bill Clinton, you know? But apparently Monica doesn't like those terms. She doesn't like Monica Gate or Lewinsky Gate because the media basically took her and made her the center of this case. And she never, she just never was the kind of person who wanted to be the center of attention like that. So unfortunately, like she was in her perspective, this like small piece of the puzzle that just kind of wandered into a situation and it all became about her. So anyway, I ended up calling it Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky because I can't just call it Bill Clinton or the Bill Clinton scandal and people know what I'm talking about, you know? Right. Unfortunately, that's not specific enough. So um, before we get started, let me tell you a few sources. Um, First of all, I saw a lot of interviews with Monica Lewinsky. First of all, she did like a two and a half hour interview with Barbara Walters. That was like soon after this all came out. And uh, it was, it was pretty specific. Um, she also did interviews with Forbes 30 under four, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Forbes 30 under 30 and Ted talk. Um, I have a few like news articles that I'll link on brokenlimelight.com as well. Um, also th- this isn't a source, but if you guys watched American crime story on, uh, what's it on Hulu, HBO max, one of those. Um, it's a Ryan Murphy show. It's like American horror story, but these are the crime series. So he did the first season about, O.G. Simpson and the second series, I'm sorry, second season about Gianni Versace, both of which I plan to cover. But the third season was called Impeachment and it was released just last year. And what I found interesting was that Monica Lewinsky was actually a producer on this show. Um, So they did a really good job at finding actors that really looked the part. Um, But they also used like a crazy amount of prosthetics, like Bill Clinton's nose was like very accurate, you know, (laughs) and um, and uh, Sarah Paulson is like in everything Ryan Murphy does, but she played Linda Tripp, which is a main character in this. And it's just like the transformation for her is incredible because you see her in like everything Ryan Murphy these days. And this one, I was straight up like, you can't even recognize her. Like if it weren't for her voice, I would have been like, who the fuck is that? But um, at the same time, you listen to recordings of Linda Tripp and they have very similar voices too. Huh. Yeah. So, um, For this episode, I'd like you to take everything that you know about the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal and just like put it aside and put a pin in it, because I'm going to tell you the whole story of what really happened from the very beginning. Um, I'm also going to try really hard to speak in layman's terms, because if you guys are anything like me, you might like dissociate when you hear people talk politics. (laughs) Very much. I just might yeah my ADHD brain just like has the hardest time keeping up so um I, I I did my very best to like ask a lot of people questions and to clarify the meanings of things and to really figure it out um, and I think that's one reason why impeachment was so interesting because it's like it's like watching scandal you know they made this drama that you can watch happen right in front of you and it makes it all clear but again that is a fictional telling so 
there is um there's a lot of background to this, including like scandals that allegedly alleged scandals that go back to the 1970s with the Clintons. So um, let me start with this. Bill Clinton was born William Jefferson Clinton. He served as governor of Arkansas and then attorney general of Arkansas. And then he served as governor again. He then served as U.S. president from 1993 to 2001. He met his wife, Hillary Clinton. He met Hillary at Yale Law School and they married in 1975. By the 1990s, the Clintons had been investigated for a number of charges, including Whitewater, of which allegations surfaced in 1992. Whitewater is kind of a long story. But in, in short, it's like they, the Clintons, invested in some riverfront property with another couple, and they were going to like sell it as vacation lots. And it ended up being a total failure because there was like a lot of storms and the land flooded, and it just like didn't work out. But the big crime was what happened afterwards. And this was a lot of claims that people were like, oh, were the Clintons really involved or not? So basically what happened was the other couple that had invested in this had like misspent the loan money. And it was alleged that some of this money was used for Bill Clinton's campaign debts and this or that. So whether or not it's true is up in the air. But this is what leads us to Vince Foster and Ken Starr. So first, let's talk about Vince Foster. Vince Foster was a prominent Arkansas attorney in the 70s and 80s who lived across the street from Bill Clinton when they were very young, and he was later responsible for hiring Hillary Clinton at the Rose Law Firm. So when Bill Clinton became president, he wanted to bring some associates from Arkansas that he knew personally and was comfortable with into the White House, and he appointed Foster to be deputy White House counsel. What ended up happening was the Clintons ended up under investigation for a number of things. One of them was Whitewater. Another one was um, Travelgate. And Travelgate was a whole nother thing where like seven people got fired and it was just suspicious and this or that. But Vince Foster basically was under a lot of pressure because he was like the lawyer that had all their paperwork. And who knows, you know, who knows really what went on behind the scenes. But what we do know is that Vince Foster died on July 20th, 1993 of an apparent suicide. He died by gunshot, and from what I could find, his wife and his sister and his doctor all agreed that he was severely depressed. Like, the day before he shot himself, or allegedly shot himself, because there's a lot of conspiracy theories, so I feel like I have to say allegedly, but um, the day before he shot himself, he actually talked to his doctor, and his doctor prescribed him, what's it called, trazodone, I think. He prescribed him something for it, but you know what I mean? When it's it takes time for those things to build up, you know? So it was just one day later that he apparently killed himself. However, because of the fact that the Clintons were under investigation, there have been rumors that he was actually killed. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So that's just one piece of it. From what I gathered, apart from that, his death was thoroughly investigated. And his family and the doctor, again, didn't really disagree that it could have been a suicide. But then these allegations, this is a little unrelated, but these allegations kind of arose again in 2016 when Donald Trump was in office because he implied that Vince Foster's death was sketchy and that maybe he knew too much and that was probably a dig at Hillary during the election. So right. that's just a small side comment. I don't really want to get into that, but it's just interesting how things arise again when it's, uh, I, I don't know, um, <laughs> convenient. Thank you. Not not that not that I know for sure Hillary didn't kill him, but you know, <laughs> right, exactly. They anyway, did call these her are all just Hillary, <laughs> right? So this is all just background. Um, like I said, what we know for a fact is that Vince Foster is dead, and most agree that this was suicide. So then the next person who comes into this is Ken Starr. So Ken Starr was an independent counsel who was assigned to investigate Whitewater. Um, in short. There were multiple investigations in Whitewater, and they all ultimately found that the Clintons didn't do anything criminal, but Ken Starr didn't end his investigation. Hmm. So it seems like he thought the Clintons did do something criminal, and he had three potential witnesses, but they all ended up refusing to cooperate. And there was one that I can't remember for one reason or another, just like didn't show up or couldn't show up or something. But anyway, like... It seems like he thought he had a case. Right. So 
Kent's star investigation coincided with another big scandal that would also make the headlines in 1994 involving Bill Clinton. This started in January of 1994. So this is where the character Paula Jones comes into the story. So it started in January of 1994. This guy named David Brock released an article saying that Paula Jones had been assaulted by Bill Clinton. So then in May of that year, she decided to come forward with a lawsuit. Her claim stated that on May 8th, 1991, so three years prior, she was working as a state employee and she attended a conference where Bill, where Bill Clinton was in attendance while he was governor of Arkansas. And Paula alleged that a state trooper asked her to report to Governor Clinton's hotel room. She didn't know what he wanted, but she just assumed it was work-related. Like maybe he wanted to tell her a good job or something. Did you hear my arm pop? Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been watching that little fly fly around. Oh God, it's because of my plants. So just to reiterate, um, the girl that he pulled over, who was she again? Was she just a person or? Paula Jones. So she is just like a state employee. I, I can't remember oh, okay. like for what department, but she was just like at a conference that he happened to be at too, because he was just the governor at the time. Um, hold on, I, I have the actual context here. Okay, so I'm going to read little excerpts from the declaration of Paula Jones. This was all in the Star Report. It says, Paula Jones hereby declares under penalty of perjury as follows. My name is Paula Jones. I am the plaintiff in the lawsuit styled Paula Jones versus William Jefferson Clinton and Danny Ferguson. Uh, I was born and raised in Arkansas, blah, blah. On or about March 11th, 1991, I began working as an employee of the state of Arkansas working for the Arkansas Industrial Development Commission or the AIDC. On May 8th, 1991, the AIDC sponsored the third annual Governor's Quality Conference. On that day, I worked at the registration desk at the conference. A man approached the registration desk and told Ms. Blackard and me that he was a trooper, Danny Ferguson, Governor Clinton's bodyguard. He made small talk with Ms. Blackard and me, during which he showed me that he was carrying a pistol. He then returned to Governor Clinton. Later that day, Trooper Ferguson came back to the registration desk and handed to me a piece of paper with a number written on it. Trooper Ferguson told me that the number was a sweet number in the hotel and said to me that Governor would like to meet with me. I had never met or talked to Governor Clinton. The first time I had seen him in person was at the conference. Ms. Blackard, Trooper Ferguson, and I then talked about what the governor could want. I thought it was an honor to be asked to meet the governor. Among other things, Trooper Ferguson stated, we do this all the time. I decided to go meet Mr. Clinton. Ms. Blackard told me that she would take over my duties at the registration desk. Trooper Ferguson then escorted me to the suite whose number had been written on the slip of paper he had handed to me earlier. When I arrived at the suite, the door was slightly ajar. I knocked on the doorframe and Mr. Clinton answered. I went into the suite while Trooper Ferguson remained outside. Mr. Clinton shook my hand, invited me in and closed the door. We talked for a few minutes. Mr. Clinton asked me about my job. He told me that Dave Harrington, who at the time was in charge of the AIDC, was his good friend. Mr. Clinton then unexpectedly reached over to me, took my hand, and pulled me toward him so that our bodies were close to each other. I removed my hand from his and retreated several feet. Mr. Clinton approached me again, saying, I love the way your hair flows down your back, and I love your curves. While saying these things, Mr. Clinton put his hand on my leg and started sliding his hand down toward my pelvic area. I did not consent to him doing this. He also bent down to kiss me on the neck, but I would not let him do so. I exclaimed, what are you doing? And escaped from Mr. Clinton's reach by walking away from him. I was extremely upset and confused and I did not know what to do. I tried to distract Mr. Clinton by asking him about his wife and her activities. And I sat down at the end of the sofa nearest to the door. Mr. Clinton then walked over to the sofa, lowered his trousers and underwear, exposed his penis, which was erect and told me to kiss it. I was horrified by this. I jumped up from the couch and told Mr. Clinton that I had to go, saying something to the effect that I had to get back to my registration desk. Mr. Clinton, while fondling his penis, said, well, I don't want to make you do anything you don't want to do. Mr. Clinton then stood up, pulled up his pants and said, if you get in trouble for leaving work, have Dave call me immediately and I'll take care of it. As I left the room, Mr. Clinton detained me momentarily, looked sternly at me and said, you were smart. Let's keep this between ourselves. Mm. coercion when Mr. Clinton referred to Dave Harrington I understood that he was telling me that he had control over Mr. Harrington and over my job and that he was willing to use that power 
From that point, I was very fearful that my refusal to submit to Mr. Clinton's advances could damage my career and even jeopardize my employment. Mr. Clinton's advances to me were unwelcome. I never said or did anything to suggest to Mr. Clinton that I was willing to have sex with him. Paula wanted to prove the authenticity of her claims, so she actually offered to draw a picture of the president's penis for the investigators. And this is because it had a distinguishing mark. Oh. It had a dramatic curve. Did oh. you know that? You never heard that? No, honestly. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you my whole, um, what I know about any of this is um, that Monica Lewinsky uh, fellatioed <laughs> President Clinton. That's all I know. That's, I mean, I don't know. What about the cigar thing? No. You didn't hear the, you didn't hear the cigar thing? No. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> this was one thing that I didn't know if it was rumor or fact, but it was like gossip that spread that he had actually penetrated her with the cigar. Oh. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell like you in a, a little a bit Cuban if that really cigar. happened. <laughs> I mean, uh, anyway oh yeah but anything the, the fucking curved penis thing um uh, it's funny because i didn't know that until we were watching impeachment and joe my my husband he was the one that like ever since then he could not stop making dick jokes about bill clinton for like days and days and apparently this was a huge like detail in the 90s that he was just like, oh man, all these jokes just came back to me. And I like, it was so funny because I was just like, dude, where are you coming up with all these, you know? Right. <laughs> but anyway, so she, she actually did draw them a picture of it. And I mean, that's another thing that's debatable. Monica Lewinsky and the president's doctor claimed that his penis did not have a curve, but I've also read that some other people have said that it, there was a curve. Personally, I don't know why, why, uh, Paula would make up a detail like that that could be proven wrong. So, I mean, pretty easily, especially since she was not the only one who saw the president's penis, you know? Okay, so <laughs> inquiring minds want to know, did it curve sideways or up or down? <laughs> to the side, to oh, the side. Okay. Uh, in the movie she, or in the show, she said something like, it, it had a shark turn to the left or something like that. <laughs> Sharp turn to the left, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> The allegations were supposedly from three years ago. So the lawsuit came just two days before the expiration of the statute of limitations. So it seems like, you know, Paula was under a lot of pressure to decide whether or not to, and at the last minute decided, um, especially since this article came out about her in January. Now it was like, fuck, now I really have to decide. Right. So let's put Paula Jones aside for a second. Uh, meanwhile, at the White House, there was an employee named Linda Tripp. So Linda Tripp was, she was a White House employee during the Bush administration. And she loved her job and she was super happy working under Bush, but she was not a fan of Bill Clinton. She found him crass and immoral. And she didn't like the way the White House was run after Bill Clinton was there. Like in the show, they portray it like, like a bunch of like teenagers are running in the place, just like bumping hip hop in the White House and like <laughs> eating pizza. But like, either way, she loved working at the White House. It was like glamorous for her. But this blissful period for Linda came to a crashing halt when Vince Foster died by suicide. See, she had worked closely with Vince Foster and she actually served him his final meal, which was a cheeseburger and M&Ms, weird detail. Uh, and she was one of the last people to see him alive. She recalled that Vince Foster was leaving the office that day and he told her that he would be back, but instead he went to a suburban Virginia park overlooking the Potomac River and he shot himself in the head. So in the aftermath of his death, there were two events that further propelled Linda on her path towards betraying the White House. So first she was introduced to somebody named Lucianne Goldberg, who was a literary agent, and I guess, how do I put this? Lucienne was like, without really saying it, seems like she wasn't a huge fan of Bill Clinton either, or at least she didn't mind talking about him. Right. I mean, we don't know like how he comes off as isn't very likable. Uh, well, and that's the thing. In Linda's perspective, he, you know, she was worked under Bush, who she respected, and then Bill Clinton came in and like slept with all the young girls. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, you'll see why she has more reason to believe this. Um, so yeah, first she met Lucienne Goldberg and Linda was kind of like, she really wanted to write a book about Vince Foster and his death. And she kind of like implied that it was suspicious, that she thought it was suspicious. Um, but then the other thing that happened around the same time was that Linda got fired from her dream job, right? She didn't get fired. She got moved to the Pentagon. And apparently this was like a higher paying job and everything, but it was like a cold gray cubicle instead of like the warm glowing white house, you know, it wasn't glamorous. So she felt like banished and it, it it's basically cause like, somebody who was working above her left and the person who replaced them was like i don't like her they were quoted as calling her abrasive and overbearing and literally was like i don't like her get rid of her (laughs) and she was relocated so that happened in the summer of 1994 so as if linda wasn't salty before now she's really salty so she was starting to see the White House as these like dream killers who banished their loyal staffers and were letting little frat bros take over. And with the death of, of Vince Foster, she was like getting louder and louder about her speculations about his death being suspicious and kind of pointing the, the finger at the Clintons. So within two years of her working at the Pentagon, she would be joined by an office mate who was also rejected from the White House. This was Monica Lewinsky. So Monica Lewinsky was raised in Beverly Hills. Her parents separated when she was 14 years old, and she always had a very difficult relationship with her dad, but she was very close with her mom. Monica loved to perform, like, in school plays, and she loved singing, but she struggled with her weight her entire life, especially as a teenager. When she was 18, she got the attention of a 40-year-old man named Andy Blyler, who was married, and he happened to be the drama tech at her high school. So that, you know, that's another thing that's like, mm, you could, mm, you know, she was 18 and he was her high school draw. So like, how, how long did he wait? Anyway. Uh, right. <laughs> it was a hard time for Monica to grow up with weight issues in Beverly Hills, if you could imagine. And Andy made her feel beautiful and sensual and wanted. And this was the beginning, like this was the first relationship where she could actually like explore being passionate. This was the first time that she felt sexy you know speaking of married men monica has said like after everything that she'll never have an affair with a married man again but she actually says herself that she's come to see that she didn't have enough sense of self-worth and kind of didn't ever feel like she could be number one to a man so she would just settle for what came so monica lewinsky interestingly was not interested in politics at all she actually got the opportunity to work at the White House as an intern. It was a like a family friend that hooked her up with it. And she was just trying to get away from Andy. And this was a really good opportunity. So she got this internship at the White House, which was unpaid. And she was working under the chief of staff, Leon Panetta. So she moved to Washington, D.C. and took up the position in July of 1995. And then in December 1995, she started a paid position. So at this time, Monica was only 22 years old, and she was a very romantic and passionate kind of person. She didn't realize at first, like she wasn't originally attracted to the president. In fact, I saw an interview where she was saying how some other young girl, like another intern, was like fangirling over him. She was just like, what the fuck? And then when he came into the room, it was like, boom, like this guy was like charming and demanded attention, and he would give you what what she called the full Bill Clinton, which was like, he would like gaze into your eyes and shake your hand like longer than just like, just being polite, you know, like he'd be like extra friendly. And she was just like, oh my God, he makes me feel so important and loved, you know? So like, that was the thing that she came in, he came into the room and she was like, oh my God, like he's like this movie star who just makes everybody feel important, you know? Going forward, Monica describes various public events where she and the president would see each other like this, like across the room and make eye contact. And she would call it like a really intense eye contact. Like it would be like at a conference or like some random ceremony and they would be across the room and just like stare at each other intensely. And it started becoming like intense. I mean, it started becoming like flirty and passionate. Um, At one point, Monica told her mom, I think I have a crush on the president. At this point, they have never spoken to each other yet. 
The first time they actually spoke to each other was on November 15th, 1995, during a government shutdown. Basically, because of the shutdown, it was like they had all the interns doing administrative work. It was like there weren't a, enough adults, so they had all the kids doing grown-up work. And like this was literally when the interns were like bumping rap music and eating pizza, like in the White House. And like like they have interns like walking around with nuclear codes and shit. So <laughs> Monica found herself in the chief of staff's office alone, and uh, Bill Clinton kind of wandered in. And like I said, by this point, they had kind of just been doing this back and forth with eye contact and flirty looks she saw him there and she like wanted to make the next move so she kind of like lifted the back of her jacket and like revealed like her thong strap and just kind of like like just like yeah just like let it show and he like you know he knows what she's doing so it's like very much like this little this little dance right you know (laughs) so after this, Monica was on her way to the bathroom and she walked past the office of George Stephanopoulos and Bill Clinton was in the office alone and allegedly called her in. So she went and introduced herself and she just like got nervous and blurted out that she had a crush on him. And apparently he laughed and then he kissed her. He's like, I he know. then All right. <laughs> so then he asked her if he would if if she would like to see his private office and invited her back that evening. He led her to another room through a connecting door where they talked and it became clear that they were mutually attracted to each other. And then he asked if he could kiss her and she said yes. And then she gave him her name and her phone number before she went back to work. Like he didn't already have access to all of that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, bitch, I know where you've lived. Every place you've lived. It's the kind of thing where it's like, here's here's my number and here's my work number and here's my locker number. Uh, (laughs) He's like, yeah, I have your social. So here's my here's my fax. Here's my old hotmail, just in case you can't reach me on the new one. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, so the second time they they had uh, an encounter was just a couple days later on November seventeenth. Bill Clinton actually took a phone call during their sexual encounter encounter from uh, sorry so like he's on the phone with the representative of alabama (laughs) he's on the phone with alabama while he's getting head for monica lewinsky um but so on this what's interesting about this encounter he unbuttoned his shirt and she recalls that he actually like sucked in his stomach (laughs) and she found it so endearing because she was struggling with her weight you know So, like, after that, they kind of, like, bonded over that, and, like, he knew she was struggling. So, like, he would try to say sweet things, like, oh, you've lost weight, or, like, oh, you look really nice today. No. Okay. I don't don't know how to feel about this. (laughs) Fun fact. They would have six sexual encounters, parentheses, blowjobs, before they had an actual conversation of more than five or ten minutes. Um... Throughout all of these encounters, Monica gave him various gifts, starting with, like, a tie, and he would give her a lot of small gifts as well. On January 7th, 1996, he spotted her and invited her into the Oval Oval Office. She was in mid-sentence when he lifted her shirt, and they had another sexual encounter. She was in mid-sentence, but I guess it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't. Shirt's off, Monica. She's like, well, why do I even (laughs) use words? (laughs) Right. So now, about two months after meeting, now around their fifth encounter, Monica asked if this was just about sex or if he had any interest in getting to know her. According to Monica, he started to tear up, and he said that he never wanted her to think that, that that's not what this was about. He told her that she lit up a room, and he was drawn to her energy. Hmm. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) That might be true. Um, How many people has he said that to, I wonder? Right. And... On cue, he just teared up. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, so it's like Barney Stinson, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so during their encounters, just to uh, clarify things, she would often give him oral sex, but he would never climax. I guess he thought it was too personal and they just weren't there yet. But both of them, what? I guess, yeah, I, I guess both of them didn't consider the oral sex to be sex. They considered it messing around oh so they were just making out 
Uh, no, they were given no, blowjobs, but they I just. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, it's a little personal. Sex. <laughs> you kiss me where I pee, but I'm not gonna come because that's a little personal. The funny thing, they they never got fully dressed. I mean, fully undressed at, in any of these encounters. Huh? Did he ever do anything to her? Oh, oh, that's a good question. It will be a question in the investigation, so I'll get to that. But um. A few things about when they would hook up in the Oval Office. So it was like he had a back door in the Oval Office that would go out into a hallway. And then the hallway would have like a bathroom on one side and then like a study on the other. So they would often go into this little hallway or into the study or the bathroom to hook up, but they couldn't ever shut the door. So the door was always just like cracked open. So that's why they never got undressed and they never fully had sex. You know, it was always just something where they could just like, it, it was like foreplay, you know what I mean? Like where they could just throw their clothes back on like real quick and like he would be like, oh, bye, you know? And like, see you later. Talk to her like a week later, you know? Huh. Yeah, so he doesn't climax for the first like eight blowjobs telling her that he doesn't know her well enough. On February 19th, 1996, Bill Clinton suddenly breaks up with Monica telling her that he's like starting to get uncomfortable with all this because if there's... I mean, he's had these affairs before, but they're they're not even affairs. They're like, he uh, like sexually harasses a woman once or twice, you know? And this has been going on for months with her now, a few months. So he kind of breaks it off with her. But then on March 29th, just like a month later, he calls her and invites her to watch a movie together. And she declined it, which I can imagine couldn't have been easy for her. But then on March 31st, just like two days later, he called her to visit the Oval Office on the pretext of delivering papers, and they hook up again. So they just, like, started back up again. They start hooking up again like nothing ever happened. And as they become more and more intimate, Monica started to fall in love with him. And the president kept telling her that she was special to him. In fact, he gave her a pretty special gift. He gave her a hat pin, and he also gave her the book Leaves of Grass, which seemed, like, really, really special. But it turns out that this was also the same first gift he gave to Hillary. <gasps> Monica didn't know that at the time, but. Okay, that kind of makes me feel like he probably did actually have feelings for her. Uh, but he's the president. Or at least he wanted her to think that. Well, that's the interesting thing. Like I said, he has assaulted women before not giving a fuck, but he's actually trying to tell this woman that she's special, you know, and like seeing the same woman over and over again and getting her gifts. And she bought him ties and he wore the ties like publicly at events. So she like kept getting the sense of like, he loves me, you know? So about five months into their affair, Monica was suddenly transferred to go work at the Pentagon. It's interesting because you would think that this was Bill, but actually Bill didn't know. In fact, what happened was the staffers were like seeing too much of her. And it it was like, hold on, let me read this. It says, White, this was in the Star Report. It says, White House staff members were noticing how often Monica Lewinsky was around the president and the Oval Office. And they said it was an optics problem, though no one explicitly stated that they believed they were having an affair. So here's here's what Monica knew about it. On April 5th, 96, Timothy Keating, the staff director for legislative affairs, informed Ms. Lewinsky that she would have to leave her White House job. According to Ms. Lewinsky, he told me I was too sexy to be working in the East Wing and that this job at the Pentagon where I'd be writing press releases was a sexier job. It's like all these men want to be in, in pornos, you know? <laughs> During this time, Bill Clinton was in the middle of his re-election campaign, so he was already going days or weeks at a time without calling Monica. So this really bummed Monica out. And Bill didn't even know what happened to her, but it, like as if it was really a problem that, you know, she wasn't hanging around all the time, you know. So she would call him up and be like, dude, I've been transferred. Like, help me get my job back at the White House. And he basically promised, like, I promise we're going to figure this out. But you know what? I have to focus on the election. So once I get reelected, you could have any job at the White House that you want. So she just like clung to this, that she just needs to get through to the end of the election. So this is April 96. So she's got to wait till like November. Right. And we all know how this panned out. Yeah, but let me just let me just tell you, just in case. <laughs> 
Um, so a month had passed and he called her one night because she couldn't call him. She had to fucking sit up and wait for him to call. So now she doesn't work with him. She literally like can't see him or get in touch with him until he calls her. So a month passed and he called her one night and she said, well, I'm really unhappy, you know. And he said, I don't want to talk about your job tonight. I'll call you this week and then we'll talk about it. I want to talk about other things, which meant phone sex. So she expected that like within the following week they were going to talk, but he didn't call her. They continued their relationship over like the next few months, basically over the phone and just like having phone sex all the time. And um, during one conversation, Monica told the president that she wanted to have intercourse with him. And he responded that he couldn't do that because of the possible consequences. They argued and then he asked her, should I stop calling you? And she said no. Possible consequences as in she might get pregnant or they could get caught or probably both. Probably that he could get in, in big trouble because he's president. I, I made, I don't know. So anyway, so now Monica goes to work at the Pentagon and that's where she met Linda Tripp. So Monica and Linda had something unique in common, and that was that they both worked at the White House, which was like big and shiny and warm, and then were rejected and banished to go work at the Pentagon. Like I said, at this point, Monica was 22 and Linda was about 24 years older than her. But they started hanging out and having lunch together and talking on the phone all the time because they had this in common, you know, and they just didn't feel like they fit in with everybody else at the Pentagon. Right. So... Monica eventually ended up confiding in Linda about her secret relationship with the president. Of course, she doesn't know that Linda is just looking to take the president down. So Linda's all ears. Monica was really struggling because she never saw the president anymore. So she would like vent a lot to Linda. But whenever she did talk to the president, he would assure her that it's just the election keeping them apart. And that as soon as it was over, all of her doubts would be restored. Throughout this whole um, period of time that they weren't together, like physically, they would end up having roughly 50 phone conversations, during many of which they engaged in phone sex. The day of the election finally came, November 5th, 1996, and Monica waited up all night for his call, and it never came. But that wasn't, like, the end of it for Monica. She kept trying. She would, like, try to show up at, like, public events that he was at and just try to get noticed. She would, like, show up early so she could be in the front. And she would try to wear, like, a nice outfit to get his attention. On Valentine's Day in 1997, she, like, took out an ad in the Washington Post that was, like, a little Valentine's Day note, like a secret love note to the president that said, With love's light wings did I perch these walls. For stony limits cannot hold love out, and what love can do that dares love attempt. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I don't fucking get it. <laughs> I love that you just stared off into space. <laughs> I know. I studied theater, and I fucking hated Shakespeare, because, I, I, again, I dissociate. Hmm. I dissociated through that whole part of college. I love Shakespeare. Good, then I hope that meant something to you. I'll send you that <laughs> note this Valentine's Day, that exact one. <laughs> so... Throughout this time that she wasn't really able to be with Bill Clinton, she did actually kind of date another guy um, on the side. I guess that's not really on the side because her and Bill weren't really together. But she did talk to this other guy and um, she just she described him as a, a guy named Thomas who worked at the Pentagon. She ended up becoming pregnant and got an abortion and she really, really suffered throughout this and ended up going to therapy uh, because she was still, like, really in love with Bill Clinton, and she didn't end up telling him about the pregnancy or the abortion. So she just kind of, like, suffered in silence through this abortion and through, like, missing him and wanting to talk to him. And unfortunately, she wasn't in love with Thomas, um, and she couldn't stop thinking about the president. So she continued to appear at these events, and I'm gonna, there's actually, like, videos and pictures of this where, like, Oh my God, she's like, you can see her just swooning and, but he's also like all starry eyed and giving her so much attention. People would call Monica a stalker for this, but in her mind, like he wasn't avoiding her. She wasn't, she wasn't like trying so hard. Like people said, he just didn't have the time or the opportunity to be with her because of his campaign in her head. So she just thought that if they wanted to be together, she was the one that had to show up wherever he was because he, he was the president. He was busy. Right. So it's really sad. Everybody made her out to be this like huge stalker, but that's not how it went in her perspective. Um, like I said, she did everything she could to get his attention, including like one day she got his attention. So the next day she 
ran home on her lunch break and put on the exact same outfit because she remembered that it caught his attention. Throughout this whole time, he kept promising that he was going to get her a job at the White House again. And then, like, the election came and went and nothing, you know. In February 1997, Monica uh, attended the taping of Clinton's radio show and she had her picture taken with him. He told her to go see Betty, who was his secretary, and then she took her over to the study that was next to the Oval Office. And then she, Betty, like, left her there and went to a nearby pantry. And she, like, waited in this pantry for, like, 15 minutes because the thing was, Bill and Monica were about to have a sexual encounter and it couldn't look like they were alone together. So Betty had to, like, go hide in a pantry to make it look like all three of them were together. That's better. Yeah. So, um... On this date, they had their first sexual encounter in 11 months. This was about a year and a half into their affair. So throughout this whole almost a year, they've only been having phone sex. And this was also the first encounter where Bill Clinton actually ejaculated. But they were fully dressed. So he ended up coming on her dress. It was a navy blue dress. And she didn't notice until afterwards when she went to dinner. (laughs) So here's another little excerpt uh, from the Star Report from from this encounter. It says, and then I wanted to perform oral sex on him. And so I did. And then I think he heard something or he heard someone in the office. So we moved into the bathroom and I continued to perform oral sex. And then he pushed me away kind of as he always did before he came. And then I stood up and said, I care about you so much. I don't understand why you won't let me make you come. It's important to me. I mean, it just doesn't feel complete. It doesn't seem right. Miss Lewinsky testified that she and the president hugged and he said he didn't want to get addicted to me and he didn't want me to get addicted to him. They looked at each other for a moment and then saying that I don't want to disappoint you. The president consented. And for the first time, she performed oral sex through completion. Can you like, I'm sorry, how manipulative is that to be like, I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to push you. I don't know if you're not ready, you know, and then it's like, well, you convinced me. I guess you can give me a blowjob. You know, I don't understand. Is he? I guarantee you, he's like and terrified. She's like, please, please let me, let me talk. <laughs> sorry. What? What did you say? I'm sorry. I guarantee you, he's like terrified to actually fuck her because he is fucking Hillary Clinton. <laughs> which I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll take that. Well, <laughs> um, well, I mean, without even without like saying anything about Hillary, it's such a, like, stereotype of this wanting a young girl in her 20s, you know? And it's just, you know, like, I don't know. We'll talk about Hillary in a little bit. Um, Because I I, I think she is relevant to all this, too, but... Do they talk about their sex life, him and Hillary? Uh, It's touched upon. It's touched upon, yes. Okay. So here's the thing. So that blue dress that Monica had with the president's come on it, um, one day Monica and Linda were hanging out and Linda found out about the dress when she, cause she saw it in Monica's apartment. And I guess, I guess Monica like didn't have the chance to get it dry cleaned yet. So Linda instantly called up her literary agent, Lucienne Goldberg. And Lucienne was like, first of all, tell Monica not to wash that dress and keep it for evidence. And, and she convinces her because she basically tells her, like, what if, you know, what if you have to, what if it comes out and nobody believes you, you know? So they're like, you, she's like, you should keep it. But then Lucianne also tells Linda that she should start recording her phone calls with her. So um, she did. She started recording them. The, she started recording their phone calls in September of 1997. Throughout this, the president continued leading her on, going weeks and weeks without calling her and then appearing like just as she was about to move on from him. And he would like make excuses, like always saying that he was just too busy because he was the president. Or like I said before, he didn't want to get addicted to her. And eventually she actually told him that she loved him. And he said, that means a lot to me. (laughs) That hurts. (laughs) That is so fucked up. Okay. Yeah. After the encounter where the president climaxed with Monica, he was seemingly feeling really guilty. Like as if ejaculating made the whole thing even more real to him. So on March 29th, 1997, they hooked up and he climaxed again, but this would be the last time. On Saturday, May 24th, 1997, according to Monica, the president ended their intimate relationship. 
Here's another excerpt from the Star Report. According to Ms. Lewinsky, the president explained that they had to end their intimate relationship. Earlier in his marriage, he told her he had hundreds of affairs, but since turning 40, he had made a concerted effort to be faithful. He said he was attracted to Ms. Lewinsky, considered her a great person, and hoped that they would remain friends. He pointed out that he could do a great deal for her. The situation, he stressed, was not Ms. Lewinsky's fault. Ms. Lewinsky, weeping, tried to persuade the president not to end the sexual relationship, but he was unyielding then and subsequently. Although she and the president kissed and hugged thereafter, according to Ms. Lewinsky, the sexual relationship was over. But yeah, basically, after this, they would no longer have any kind of sexual encounter, but they did, like, they did kiss. Like, they would hug and kiss, like, intimate kisses. It's only cheating if you come. Now his dick's in his pants, so it's like, what are you talking about? Right. But Monica, I in, in one interview, she said that when he broke up with her this time, he actually cried. So to her, that indicated that this was really hard for him and he was really going to miss her. And like, it, it made him more like real to her, you know? Mm-hmm. So he cried while breaking up with her? Mm-hmm. Because at this point, this is, it's been like more than a year and a half, almost two years. Um, you know, it would be one thing if they actually genuinely like dated each other and... um well, that's what she thinks. Yeah. And that I, I think that's what he wants her to think. So uh, for the next few months, Monica just kept sitting around waiting for that phone call that she was getting her job back because he was like, you know, I'm still going to help you with this. But she was like, she was over the top. She blew up the White House phones. And like, I I saw this one interview where Betty, the secretary, was like, or no, I think it was in the Star Report, actually, where she said something like, you know, at first, like, I didn't mind her. And I really thought that she was, I thought of her as like a woman who was being wrong. But then little by little, she was just like, she would call me crying and sobbing because the president wasn't answering his phone, like day after day, and and, like, just trying to send him gifts all the time. And like, yeah, I can imagine like, why that, like, how that could get frustrated when you're the president's secretary, and this girl keeps calling, like crying like that, you know? Right. So, she she didn't hear from him for a while, so she ended up sending him an angry letter. So he agreed to see her on July fourth, and initially he like scolded her like, "You can't send a president, you can't send a letter like that to the president." Like, so she started crying and she got emotional, and he started hugging her, and he became really affectionate with her. She said that he said that he wished he had more time for her. Okay, hold on, let me read this. He remarked that he wished he had more time for me. And so I said, well, maybe you will have more time in three years. And I was thinking just when he wasn't president, he was going to have some more time on his hands. And he said, well, I don't know. I might be alone in three years. And then I said something about us sort of being together. And I think I said, oh, I think we'd be a good team or something like that. And he jokingly said, well, what are we going to do when I'm 75 and I have to pee 25 times a day? And I told him that we'd deal with that. So even, you know what I mean? He breaks up with her and then he tells her shit. Like he hasn't spoken to her in months. Right. So she sends him an angry letter and he's like, oh, well, when we're 75, you know? Or maybe that's his <sighs> way of like being like, yeah, Leading her I'm on? too old for you. But like jokingly uh, and. Well, why would he tell her? Oh, I don't know. I might be alone in three years. Like she's going to, she's only 22. You know, she can wait around for you, you know? Right. I don't know. I think that's so mean. Oh, anyway. for sure. So Monica testified that she left that day sort of emotionally stunned. And she said, I just knew he was in love with me. Just before leaving, uh, according to Ms. Lewinsky, she said, I told the president that I wanted to talk to him about something serious. And that while I didn't want to be the one to talk about this with him, I thought it was important that he know. So basically, she told him that she had heard that another woman was coming forward with allegations against him. So, I know, this is a long, long list of characters. But this is where Catherine Willie comes in. And don't worry, we won't go too in detail about Catherine Willie. But basically, Catherine Willie was friends with Linda Tripp. Or at least, like, they worked together. So, according to Willie, during an afternoon meeting on November 29th, 1993, they were in, a pri- in the private study of the Oval Office, and Clinton embraced her tightly, kissed her on the lips, grabbed her breast, and forced her hand on his genital. 
so that's this is another thing that it's like uh for sure they hooked up i mean by all accounts except bills pretty much but um whether or not it was concept consensual it was up in the air Linda, I mean, Linda's a huge backstabber, but she would say under oath that Willie's sexual contact with the president was consensual. She said that Catherine Willie had been flirting with the president and was happy and excited following their encounter. Um, six other friends of Willie's confirmed Linda's account, saying that Willie was seeking out a sexual relationship with the president. Right. So, so she is saying she's trying to say. Oh, I think they really did hook up, but then. Yeah, which either way, the president, you know, he's not supposed to hook up with people and then lie about it, you know. But it seems like she was just jumping. On, I mean, this is my opinion. It seems like she was jumping on the train of calling him out, you know, even though she she, she, she probably thought he was hot and was into him like these other right. interns. You know? Well, that's the thing. Which, like, no, you know, not to talk trash about them, but, right. but I think I think I think Catherine Willie saw him hooking up with girls and she was like, I'm going to be next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I think. I think that um just based on like what we know about monica Lewinsky, like they flirted heavily like there was obviously a mutual mm-hmm. connection so she ended up in that oval office study somehow he didn't drag her in there, yeah you know? not like paula jones i definitely believe paula jones when she says it but and not to say that Catherine Lilly's a liar it's just i mean so we- <laughs> Linda and six other friends confirmed that she was seeking out a relationship, which, you know, that doesn't mean that the president's even more right or wrong. It's irrelevant. You know, the point is the president hooked up with another woman mm-hmm. during in, in 1993, you know, while all these other women are claiming this kind of thing. So it, regardless of a woman, it, it is showing a pattern in the president here, you know, right. which I mean, what what is the president going to turn you down if you consent? Like, no, he, he wants. He wants ass, you know, he's like, oh, no, I'm not raping you. Let's not, you know, no, I'm sure he, you know, he's, he's not, he's, this isn't just to call him a rapist. You know what I mean? The fact right. that it is he's a, he's into young girls. Yeah. Outside right. of his marriage. Right. And honestly, that's between him and his wife. I don't think that that should be Bingo. anyone's business. Yeah. I mean, the problem here is the, the perjury, but we digress. Um. So anyway, Linda was friends with Catherine, and it's kind of a long story. What happened was, remember when we were talking about Paula Jones? She was the one who came out with the first allegations in 1994. So now we're in, like, 1997, and Paula Jones's lawyers are basically trying to reveal a pattern in the president in, like, assaulting or sexually harassing um, White House employees. These lawyers, since they're looking for people to go after, they end up like a bunch of people end up getting like subpoenaed in the Paula Jones case. So long story short, Linda finds out about Catherine Willie coming forward with the allegations and Linda tells Monica. So Monica goes to warn the president. Now, the problem here is that Monica is not supposed to tell anybody about her relationship with the president so it's like, why would anybody warn Monica about Catherine Willie? Like, why would Monica even know about this, you know? So the president's like, of course, I know about Catherine Willie. Why do you know about Catherine Willie? You know? Right, exactly. So Monica's like, uh, I didn't tell anybody, you know? <laughs> it wasn't me. So, me right. So little by little, they end up connecting that Linda Tripp is the common denominator here. She's the one who knows both. Linda, and, or she's the one who knows both Catherine and Monica, and she's the only one who could possibly know fucking everybody. <laughs> so, um, Newsweek published the Kathleen, oh, not her name's not Catherine, it's Kathleen. My bad. Newsweek published the Kathleen Willie story in their August 11th, 97 edition, and the article quoted Linda is saying that Kathleen, after leaving the Oval Office on the day of the president's alleged advances, looked disheveled flustered happy and joyful huh but the art yeah because she was she was happy to hook up with the president kathleen was so she was disheveled flustered happy she probably looked like her hair in a mess and face is hot like oh, just like post-orgasm you know yeah she's probably like <laughs> you know so did he actually um, have sex with her well like i said it said that he touched her breasts and pulled her close to him you don't right. remember what did i say yeah no i remember that but i didn't know if i missed something Oh, okay. He embraced her tightly, kissed her on the lips, grabbed her breasts, and forced her hand on his genitals. So it was probably like a really heavy makeout sesh where they're just like groping each other. And maybe it's because it was one of those things where it's like you have 15 seconds before somebody comes into the room. 
anyway, the article also quoted Robert Bennett, as, uh, which I believe was one of the presidents uh, on his legal team. He was quoted as saying that Linda Tripp was not to be believed. So that's where it, that's where it became hard because, like, I, in my opinion, like that could be truthful, but it's hard to believe Linda now because nobody likes her, right? And like, yeah, she's got this reputation for being a backstabber who recorded her friend. But anyway, on August sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven, Monica tried unsuccessfully to resume her sexual relationship with the president. She touched the president's genitals through his pants, and she moved down to perform oral sex, but he rebuffed her. He said, I'm trying not to do this, and I'm trying to be good. And she said that he got visibly upset. So she hugged him, and she said that she was sorry and told him not to be upset. Um, later, she had, like, written and she had like written numerous notes that she never sent to him. Um, they were, like, like, drafts she had written, and one of them said, handsome. It was awful when I saw you for your birthday in August. You were so distant that I missed you as I was holding you in my arm. So, like I said, it was in about September 97 when Linda started recording her phone conversations with Monica. Um, around this same time, Linda kind of, like, called Monica up and was like, Monica, I've got some bad news. I hate to tell you this, but I have a friend who um, works for in the White House, and it turns out that your name is, like, blacklisted, and unfortunately, you're never going to work in the White House again. And Monica's like, uh, yeah, good question, but it, it's kind of like I said, like, the White House staffers, like, multiple right. people I, were the ones that were, like, them or him well at the same time it, it could be untrue you know it could just be linda being a bitch oh i see, you know? I, see. I i don't i don't know if that part's true but nonetheless monica is just like enraged at this point this was like the straw that broke the camel's back and she was actually like considering moving to new york moving um away but like this this was it she was like fuck this you know so yeah, she freaks out on the on the president and they like be, like the president actually tells Betty like no, you're going to call up so and so and get her a job. So, they end up reaching out to his friend and trusted advisor named Vernon Vernon Jordan and he would end up helping Monica get a job cuz he was a trusted advisor for like multiple companies and he eventually got her a job in New York with the Red, the Revlon Corporation. Linda started recording the phone calls in September, and in October, she played the tapes for Lucienne Goldberg, her literary agent, and, and her son, who I guess was also like a reporter or agent of some kind, as well as a reporter from Newsweek named Michael Isikoff. But Newsweek ended up opting not to move forward with the story. So they're like making plans as to what, like now they're actually, they're the first people to listen to the tape and see if it's worth it to go forward and do something about it. And then in November of 97, Linda was subpoenaed in the Paula Jones case, and she named Monica as a potential witness. So this is now all drawing everybody into the Paula Jones case. Um, okay, just in case, this is, this is where we're going to take a break, because it's going to get really into, like, the legal mumbo-jumbo okay. going forward. Okay, so um, we'll be right back and re-record the next part of this. Um, just stay tuned. Uh, don't forget that you can always check brokenlimelight.com and there will be updates up there and an almost com complete transcript as well as a full list of the sources. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. If you have any questions, go on our Facebook and you can always reach out to us there or you can also leave a comment on brokenlimelight.com. Or if you want to, like, send us a specific question or information or, like, more sources, you can email me at ddwest@brokenlimelight.com. Um, Okay, anything else you want to say somewhere? No, I think we're good. I'm excited for the next part. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yeah. It said, handsome, with love's light wings, did I o'er perch these walls? For stony limits cannot hold love out. And what love can do that there's love attempt. I should have just not even read that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was boxed. Is that is that like an actual poem or did she just like take it, it upon it's herself? From, it's from Ro so let me just say it's a poem from Romeo and Juliet. And then it says oh. Happy Valentine's Day M. It uh, there was no punctuation in that, and I don't know if that was my fault or what. <laughs>
<laughs> Although love Let me try again. Wall. <laughs> Let me try again. Hold on. Hold on. There's capitalization. I guess she thought it was like spinach dip or something. And she was like, oh, shit. This is the president's semen. She looked it up. She's like, oh, it's salty. Oh, God. Why did you say that? <laughs> I thought it was spinach dip. Was it green? That's oh, fuck you. <laughs> was it green? Oh, my God. Like, I found an article, um, and it says, it's from the Los Angeles Times, and it was like, she was saying, we would tell jokes, we would talk about our childhoods, talk about current mm-hmm. events. I was giving him my stupid ideas about what I thought should be done in the administration or different views on things. Um, and then, like, I never expected to fall in love with the president. I was surprised that I did. Well, because I can imagine, like, if it was just me and I'm not interested in politics at all, and I go do this, and I just think the guy is hot, you know, like, you can you can imagine, like, yeah, maybe, like, just a little hookup, and we're going to flirt a few times, but, like, I don't think you pictured that, you know, that we're going to, I'm going to fall in love with him, and, like, Right, you know? exactly. And then it says, but there was another side to it as well, the groping, blouse open, zipper down, oral sex while leaning leaning against a wall moments, followed by the do you remember my name moments, the married man's time stained, maybe we can be together t- someday lines, the belated efforts to convince each other it was more than sex, the posturing, deception, anger, and betrayal. Did you see this? Um, so I'm on CNN and it talks, uh, Bill Clinton says he feels terrible that affair has unfairly defined Monica Lewinsky's life. Um, he said that he feels terrible. The affair has defined the former White House intern's life and seeks to explain the sexual relationship as something he did to manage his anxieties for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why he entered the relationship. He said he did it to cope with the pressure, disappointments, and fears of life. This reminds me of R. Kelly. I just want to like put that out there. Oh, I'm probably going to lose some people uh, over this episode, which I hope. I try to be unbiased, but fuck. I mean, (laughs) how can you? No, you can't be unbiased. Sometimes, sometimes people love them so much that they don't want to hear anything but praise. Yeah, you know, even if I'm not directly bashing people. But anyway, sometimes it's like if I lose people on on episodes about a, like R. Kelly and Woody Allen and Bill Clinton, like maybe uh, that's not such a loss. <laughs> I mean, maybe you know you're maybe you're not maybe you're not my audience, and maybe you're not what I ordered either. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> Um, the thing is, is I think with what you're covering, you're not covering just regular people. You're covering people who were well-known and who did have a following and people who love them and they just won't see it any other way, you know? And I'm not telling people not to like people either, because for one, like I'm a very big classic rock fan. And then I found out just how many of these rock stars were alleged like pedophiles, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I I get it. It's really hard. Um, a lot of them and Michael Jackson's another one man that one hurts and I think that hurts a lot of people and uh, I think I'm I think I'm personally not ready to talk about that yet not to say that I condone anything I'm just not giving my opinion yet Uh, you know I don't I can't say the wrong thing and I'm gonna lose people right I'll lose you over Michael later yeah I'm I'm right there with you um on Michael Jackson because it's like I love him but also like I don't like pedophiles and it's it's so hard because what do we believe, you know, and we don't he have to is one that, that's but. hard for a lot of people to grasp, you know, that's one that uh, it's, it's hard. We don't want to believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. So one day I will cover that. And uh, I promise I'll do my best to find out, you know, Everything. what's, what's true. I'll, I, I think mean, that yeah, would I'll be... try to be unbiased because I don't want to believe it, but I also am not one to fucking not tell you guys. If it's true, you know? <laughs> I ain't going to not do it. <laughs> <laughs> You have to watch Pam and Tommy. Tim Pommy. Tim and Pam, Pam and Tommy. No, no, no. no. That's that's actual that fucking name. <laughs> no, it was Tom and Pammy. <laughs> Tam and Tommy. That's how often I Anyway, it's super good. I've got I've gotta cover that one. Yeah. I started watching it. I'm something happened i fell asleep and it started playing i think it skipped over like three episodes so i have to figure out where i was but i'm sorry for the people listening um go watch 
Pam and Tommy. Um, Seth Rogen is he plays Rand. What's it called? What's his name? Rand Godier, I think. Something. Um, he is like he's the carpenter who steals the sex tape from Pam and Tommy, and uh, man, he he's good in that role. Like he's very different, not his usual goofy self, you know. Um, he's very like uh, I guess serious in this role, but uh, he plays it off so well. Yeah. And it's so funny because like being a Seth Rogen fan, like I watch him and I watch his facial expressions and I'm waiting for like a joke and it doesn't come. Uh, what's interesting is that they've made you kind of like feel bad for him. And I, I'd like to look into all that, you know, I, I would like to know how much of this show is actually completely true because I was reading an article, um, that, um, I almost said Tom, Pam, <laughs> <laughs> either I don't know if it's a book or if it's another show that actually depicts like the story better so I it makes me wonder if it's not true I I like to you know what I mean yeah I would like to see if uh, there is I'm sure there is a memoir by Pam um another thing that kind of threw both of us off of this show was when his dick was talking to him in the mirror (laughs) Tommy Lee yeah okay but that was so on character (laughs) yes but it gave me such Bruno vibes that I just couldn't like take it seriously Bruno have you seen Bruno the movie where his dick like Bruno (laughs) oh my god anyway um Uh, it was a little hard to take serious after that it's the story is really good like I watched it to the end and it like made me cry and it's like Maybe their relationship would have worked out if not for this whole thing. Maybe not because he was still kind of a monster, but you know, maybe they would have broken up for something else and not something like her being exploited like that. What's that face for? You reading stuff? Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye. Was that see you in the next Was that part. a delay? Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Bark Box! Bark Box! Bark Box! Bark Box. You guys know my dogs, Jude and Eleanor Rigby. Well, we just started getting them Bark Box, and I'm telling you, your dogs will love you. No more are they angry at the mailman. No more, I say. It's like a box of dog joy that's delivered every month, and each box tells a different story with different themed toys, treats, and photo-worthy props. Typically, what we get in each box is a couple of toys, a couple of treats, and a chew, but you can actually tailor-fit your box to fit your dog's needs. Guys, I'm telling you, your dogs will love you, even more than they already do. So try it out, and if you use my link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is a $35 value. So just head to BarkBox.com slash Broken Limelight and get started on your first BarkBox today. BarkBox, 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 BarkBox. Nailed it, Jude.